Hey, welcome again to the Art of Relationships, a podcast here from Biola University. Um, I'm with Tim Yohoff. I'm Chris Grayson. We are here talking with a special guest today, Deborah Falata, who is joining us from uh, Pennsylvania and from a truelovedates.com uh, website and a book by the same name, True Love Dates. So, Deborah, we're just so excited to have you on the program. Yeah, thank you, Chris, and thank you, Tim. Um, yeah, so True Love Dates started, it was just sort of my heart to bridge the gap between um, what the world teaches about dating and what the Christian culture teaches about dating. And, you know, many of us grew up in um, the era of the I Kiss Dating Goodbye movement. Mm. And, you know, just a shout out, Joshua Harris is a great guy with a great heart. Um, I'm actually friends with him. Um, but, but the interesting thing about it is we came out of this culture where dating was almost seen as wrong. Um, this culture where dating was this taboo thing that, you know, you kind of need to stay away from. It's almost some, some went as far as to say even trains you for divorce. And um, so, so there's one extreme, you know, don't date. You barely interact with the opposite sex unless you know for sure that they're going to be the one you end up marrying. Mm-hmm. And then the world offers us this culture of dating is, is casual. Not only that, sex is casual. And, and, and it's all relative. Commitment is this, like, vague terminology. And so it's like for the, for the modern contemporary Christian who doesn't feel like they belong in either category, I mean, how do you even go about dating? How do you go about having a healthy relationship with the opposite sex? And through my work as a professional counselor, I just felt like this need was rising up more and more to just talk about the nitty gritty of dating relationships and, and in general, healthy relationships and, and the baggage that we carry and how all those things impact us and impact relationships. So that's really where the book started. And um, it's kind of funny. I started the blog, truelovedates.com to market this book that was coming out. But little did I know, God had way larger plans for the blog than even the book and the the blog kind of took off. We reached um, over two million um, millennials and singles a year, and 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 I'm just so thankful for the ministry that God sort of landed in my lap unexpectedly. But but that's kind of where it all started. Oh, that's great, Deborah. We, we uh, this podcast. I bet you we're going to hit twenty people. We're, we're just trusting God. No, we're kidding. We're kidding. But Deborah, what you said it just so identifies with what I think Biola students are struggling with, and not just here, but as Chris and I travel to Azusa to John Brown University, the way modern. Uh, Christian college students navigate this is, is there's virtually no dating that happens on campus. And then what little dating happens, it goes from zero to a hundred in a heartbeat. So people move. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's your take on that? We've been puzzled by it. I've been here for 11 years and the dating culture has remained the same is that uh, no one dates. There is no, and casual dating, I would throw into what you were talking about became a taboo concept of any type oh, of casual sure. dating. So I, I feel like Biola students very much need what you're saying. And the way they're negotiating it today is there's simply no dating that happens whatsoever. Yeah, I, you have some great observations there. And unfortunately, it's something that's kind of happening across the country, um, especially within Christian circles. So it's like, yeah, like you said, it, it's almost like there's this fear of even interacting with the opposite sex out of the fear of, you know, it comes from a good place. It's, it's we want to honor God. We want to do what's right. But really deep, deep down, I think there's also a fear of failure. Like we just, 
You don't mm-hmm. want to mess this up. Mm-hmm. It's so serious. And, and we talk up how, how important marriage is, and, and granted, it's so important. But then I think we elevate dating to the level of marriage. We take it just as seriously. And it's like asking someone out for coffee becomes equivalent to a marriage proposal. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> I, I have to take this seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah, even though it's really just coffee. And, and I don't, I think we've kind of lost the, the art of having relationships, um, in a healthy way with the opposite sex that aren't even romantic, you know, just edifying one another in the body of Christ. Right. Um, we've lost all of that because we just put such a high, we, we, you know, we put such a high weight on, um, how to interact with the opposite sex. Mm. Uh, But you're right, and this is something that we hope to change. And I think as we're having these conversations, too, um, it's just the problem is you look at the world and you see the hookup culture, you know, where people are making out, having sex, one night stands, and it's like, well, I don't want to do that either. You know, so so really we have to have this conversation so that the Christian knows, the, the modern contemporary Christian knows how to navigate these waters a little bit better. Let me add one other factor and get your opinion on this. I I teach a class on gender. I'm actually teaching it this fall. And so one student asked me a question at the break, and I'd love to get your take on this. I think what's complicated the lack of dating even more is we have kind of um, set limits on who can initiate. So um, a lot of students feel they receive the message that only the men can initiate because if a woman were to initiate, it would set a bad pattern that could uh, bleed into a dating relationship and even their marriage. So I, I feel like a lot of women feel like, uh, is it okay for me to initiate? What would that look like if I did try to do that? So what's your take on how much a, a single Christian woman can initiate uh, with a, a man that she's has interest in? Oh, man, Tim, you are just bringing up all my favorite topics already. (laughs) This is great. Um, It's funny, I actually just wrote an article about this the other day because I'm doing a dating Q&A on the blog right now where people are submitting questions and I kind of go through and answer them. And one that keeps coming up and has come up multiple times through the history of my blogging and writing world is, can a woman initiate? And you're right. There is this concept that many ministries... um, have actually um, put out there um, that a man should be the one to initiate a relationship. And where do they get that? Yeah. Um, they say it's biblical, and, and, and when I've had interviews before, um, they, they cite the concept that um, in the Bible it talks about how the man is like Christ and the woman is like the Church, um, where, where really, if we look biblically, we're actually talking about marriage in that context. But right. they kind of yeah. extract it, and they say, well, in that case, men should be like Christ. So Christ initiated relationships, so men should be the one to initiate and pursue, and w- the women, the woman should be the one to respond. So that's kind of where they get that mentality. Mm-hmm. But to be honest with you, as I look at Scripture, I'm not just talking from a modern-day perspective. I'm not talking from a feminist perspective. I'm talking as a conservative Christian. As I look at Scripture, I see the Bible tells us to guard our hearts. It doesn't say, men, guard the woman's heart. It says, guard your heart. Mm. And I think we are responsible for our own heart. Mm. Sometimes that means, you know, taking the next step and saying, hey, you know, we've been hanging out a lot, and this sort of seems like dating, but you haven't really asked me out, so I kind of need to know what's going on here, because this friend this friend relationship is not really okay, you know? Like, sometimes it means a woman stepping out 
and setting some boundaries, taking initiative in her life and in her relationships and, and stopping something that's going the wrong direction or even starting something that hasn't started yet. Um, I don't think that, that we are bound by our gender. I do think we are bound by wisdom. I think we are bound by godliness. I think we are bound by doing things in a way that honors God and edifies one another, but that's about it. I don't think we are bound by, you know, which gender should initiate. I think we all have equal responsibility um, in relationships. And, you know, some women are of the old-fashioned nature where they prefer a guy to initiate. And if, if you're a woman who's like that, you know, that's the, I think that's a personality thing, but I don't think we should um, make it about, uh, you know— I don't think we should tie it to biblical concepts because really God calls us all to guard our heart. Yeah, that's a good point, Deborah. Um, tell me a little bit about one of the things that you have noticed uh, as, as a change from when you were dating uh, to today. To me, this this notion of, of social media comes into play and the way in which we um, navigate relationships uh, has really been changed by this. How, is, how have you seen social media impacting relationships in that way? I think you probably have a, a blog out on that as well, but it's just different. And in what ways do you think? Well, one thing that I see with social media, I mean, there's so many ways that it, it impacts us, but specifically how it's impacted the dating culture. Um, I think social media and online exposure in general makes you think that you've got um, millions and millions and millions of options mm. and they're all, you know, everyone kind of presents their best face uh, on social media, their highlights. And I think when you're kind of looking at that, you're looking at these beautiful photos, you're looking at these, these things that are happening in everyone's life that are just amazing, these highlight reels, you know, I think you can kind of start having expectations for yeah. what a relationship's going to look like yeah. that aren't actually realistic or healthy, yeah. if you know what I mean. And, and I think relationships, I, I, the saddest thing that I see in this generation is that we've got two extremes. We've got people who have no longer any, any standards whatsoever. They're like, you know what? This, these kind of things aren't important to me. It doesn't matter if you're Christian. It doesn't matter if you're not Christian. Mm. You know, it's like a group of people with zero standards. But then we've also got a group of people whose standards are completely unrealistic. Mm -hmm. It's like someone's godliness and also how awesome their hair is and how tan they are. You know, it's like all in the same, it's all in the same level and it's all a priority now. We want it all. And I just think uh, really that we need a reality check of what makes for a good, strong, healthy, God-honoring relationship. And I kind of think our standards and our expectations have been skewed along the way, partly in part um, because of social media. Boy, Deborah, that's really good about the skewing of, of expectations and what's reality. Uh, we do premarital counseling, and over the years, we ask uh, the couple that we're working with to do one very simple assignment. I want, to give you, I want you to give me five things that you love about this person, but give me three areas that you already know are areas of concern. It's a yellow light. Yeah. We have had couples struggle to come up with three. And I, mm -hmm. I say to them, look, if you can't come up with three, I, you're not ready to get married. Because I don't think you're seeing any um, type of reality or potential conflict or real conflict. So it's like... Um, what are you doing in this dating relationship or getting to know each other that you're not seeing 
any areas that you think, boy, this could be a problem or this is a problem right now. And I think some of that is that narrative of I want the perfect relationship and having three areas of potential conflict does not fit the narrative that they're getting from social media. You're right. And I think, too, there's a failure to really dig deep. Mm. Um, in True Love Dates, I, it's funny, it's a dating book, but the first section of the book starts with the most important person you could ever date and the person you probably never thought you would date, which is yourself. And the first mm. section kind of talks about dating inward. And it's this concept of you've got to first dig deep to figure out who you are, mm. what baggage mm. you carry, because all of that stuff comes in the marriage and then you can multiply it by about a hundred, the good, the bad, and the <laughs> ugly. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of people kind of uh, keep that stuff under the surface. They don't even deal with it themselves. And then five, you know, forget five, one year into the relationship, into the marriage, things just start coming to the surface. Yeah, and, or one and, week. And, yeah. Or even one week, you're <laughs> yeah. right. And it's like, what have I gotten into? When really, um, there's so much work that needs to be done in preparation for marriage. I tell singles that the best marriage counseling is done while you're single, before you're even married. Because you're 50% of the equation, and if you start working on your stuff right now, (laughs) you know, your, your, your statistics, your chances of having a better marriage are, are exponential because you're working on yourself. Yeah, that's such good advice, uh, Deborah. that, you know, when we talk with students here and, and then others outside, those that are dating again, um, it, it becomes for them an opportunity to learn a lot more about themselves. And we all, we, we know that, right? There are some things that relationships uncover in us that, uh, you know, just reveal things that uh, are hard and difficult and painful and also kind of, you know, confirming of some areas of strengths. But without going through that in a context of a relationship, oftentimes it seems like we we just don't really f- have a full or, or true picture. Um, and that's a lot of what the body is about, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're put in relationships and designed for these things in order to help us understand not only more about what we are like, but how our God is and how he's created us and made us in a unique way. And that is seems like it works out well and, and best when we can be in a, in a true and good relationship with somebody. Tell me about that when, for you, um, how do you counsel or work with people who are dealing with some of these maybe baggages that they're bringing and they realize, you know, I, I've got some issues. Like I was talking to a student just today who said she really sees, has a hard time having a friendship with some of the students, uh, fellow students, because she thinks guys are, are all kind of uh, a little too cocky. They're, they're, they, they just think that um, they, everybody wants to, you know, be, you know, looking out for them and they're pretty self, you know, sensitive, but they're mostly unaware of other people. And so her perception, she knows her perception is off. She just doesn't know what to do with it. So how do you help young people or people who are single or single again deal with that notion of what they are like and how that's impacting their relationships? Well, like you said, I think um, our interactions with people are sort of a litmus test of how healthy we are. Um, and, and so much of our health is rooted in our interactions Stemming from our family of origin, yeah. um, like you know, like well, that's a that's a pretty uh, basic psychological word there, but it 
man, does it have so much value. Um, we learn how to be loved based on how love was communicated to us and based yeah. on the things that happened to us along the way. So, so you're right. There's so much baggage and there, you know, maybe we won't even say baggage because for some people yeah. that's like, Oh, I don't have any baggage, but you know, even if you, if you just want to call it the roots that you come from and do you have good mm-hmm. roots? Do you mm-hmm. have roots that need work? Um, because we all have them. Yeah. And so really for me, when I'm interacting with young people, um, or even older people. I mean, forget young. I'm, I mean, counseling married couples sometimes in their 70s and 80s who are still dealing with, with bad roots <laughs> and, and issues that they're trying to work out. And really, um, I know you guys have some awesome resources um, as far as counseling goes, because that's really the number one place where a lot of this, a lot of this digging starts to happen in, in that safe environment where you can really have someone walking along side of you and kind of helping you to expose the things that need to be exposed and deal with your beliefs, the the right beliefs, the wrong beliefs, where they maybe went wrong along the way. Um, I believe having a mentor is a huge component to health, someone that you can trust that will call you out when you are doing something that isn't healthy or something that, you know, that's a glaring red flag in your life, someone that's not afraid to speak truth. Um, so, so really starting by, it's, it's interesting because it's all about relationship, you know, relationship with a therapist, relationship with a mentor, but really at the end of the day, like you said, God uses relationships to refine us. Mm -hmm. Um, and even when they start getting uncomfortable, I think, I think that's the, that's the, um, really the, the reminder that we need to just keep digging and keep working and that God is continually refining us through these relationships that he's put in our life. So I definitely would suggest um, if anyone's out there considering, should I get counseling? Should I not? You don't have to be um, on the edge of a nervous breakdown to get counseling. I mean, I see some of the coolest people in counseling that I think to myself, if you weren't my patient, I would totally be your friend and go out (laughs) for coffee and chit chat. Because honestly, some of the most amazing people who, who just, need a different perspective on life, and, and it would really go a long way. Deborah, what I see is short-circuiting the system is the kind of introspection you're advocating doesn't happen a ton. And so when I speak at family life marriage conferences, and I ask, we do a pre-married session uh, with couples, and I yeah. say, how many of you are currently in premarital counseling? And easily, only half the people raise their hand or even less than half the people. So they're not even getting premarital counseling, but the ones who do, they kind of approach it like, hey, this is a done deal. Like we are going to get married. This is just kind of fine tuning things as we head to the altar where we say to the people that we're doing premarital with is, hey, listen, it's not a done deal. And this is a time to really uh, be introspective about yourselves and the marriage. And I love your idea of checking out the roots. But so a lot of couples head into premarital counseling with this attitude of, hey, we are going to get married. And there's no doubt we're getting married because we're engaged. And we want to challenge that idea to say, no, this is really an opportunity to invite God into the process, but also take a look at things that might surface as we're doing premarital counseling. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, we sort of look at it differently. And I think partly it's because we take dating so seriously Mm. that we almost don't take engagement seriously enough. Oh, that's good. It's like, oh, we did 
we did the dating, you know, we got through that and now we decided we're getting engaged, but really how it should be is the dating should be the casual part. And then once you get engaged, that's <laughs> yeah. when you really start doing the yeah. work, Yeah, you know, and that's sort of my take on it. That's my approach when I'm interacting with singles, when I'm interacting with couples, I'm trying to flip the norm of, okay, let's look at dating as a way to get to know yourself. And then engagement is the time when we're really digging into this relationship and, and is this good for a lifetime? Um, so I think a lot of those preconceived notions that we have need to change. But you know what else I think needs to change is the church needs to help us a little bit with this conversation because I don't know about you, but the typical Christian pre-marriage approach is just to have like a couple good talks. Uh, maybe yes. do a quick inventory, yep. Yep. and then, you know, it's like, okay, let's talk about how do you want the day to go? Do you want me to do a long sermon, a short sermon? And it's like more about the wedding day than it really is about digging deep and exposing some things and calling out some things. Um, so I think we also need to kind of find a way for the church to work um, close together with the world of counseling and psychology for us to be partners um, instead of enemies, which unfortunately in many parts of the, the, the country, believe it or not, there's still the stigma and the, and, and the bridge that just needs to be gapped. Yeah, boy, um, we, we hear that and agree, and we see that a lot. Deborah, if you had to just summarize, um, what would be some of the qualities you would see in a couple that, that you would, you would uh, reinforce and, and encourage and say, this is a good sign for you in this relationship? You, you guys are on the right track. Here are the two or three things. And then, and then likewise, the two or three things that are most troubling. Do you have any of those real quickly for us? Well, one thing that I um, would mention is I talk a little bit in True Love Dates about the four seasons of a dating relationship, and I probably don't have too much time to get into those, but there's four different seasons that a couple passes through, and each season sort of exposes things about the relationship and whether or not it's ready to move on to the next season or whether maybe it's time to take a step back. Um, And some of those things, for example, would be conflict and communication. I mean, like we talked about earlier, conflict isn't actually the the thing that scares us. It's how you deal with conflict. Um, And like you said, Tim, it's the lack of conflict, I think, that's even more alarming. It's like, okay, that that must mean there's two very passive people in this relationship. And so how you handle conflict, how you express emotion, how Mm -hmm. you, um, the boundaries that you maintain um, sexually and emotionally. I think a lot of times people think, you know, these sexual boundaries, I may be crossing them a little, but hey, we're going to get married. But at the end of the day, learning boundaries in your sexual life is something that's going to go in with you all the way to marriage and through marriage. And if you have a hard time keeping sexual boundaries before marriage, you better believe you're going to find yourself struggling with sexual boundaries in different ways after marriage. So just the idea of having boundaries and um, and just kind of learning to solidify those things in our life because of God and because of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. And so there's a lot of different traits that you look through along the way um, that sort of point to, yes, this is good, this is a green flag, or no, this is red, this is a red flag. And I actually encourage couples to go ahead and make a list of red flags, green flags, and yellow flags, Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of write out the things that they find to be alarming, um, the things that they find to be, you know, I don't know enough about this area of this person's life yet, you know, proceed with caution kind of things. Mm -hmm. And then the green list, of course, the things that I 
really appreciate and respect about this person. And, and also, um, like we mentioned before, a community is key. You know, you need to have trusted people looking in on your relationship right. and yeah. people that you've invited to speak into your relationship to kind of tell you things and, and maybe point things out that you're not seeing. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I so agree with what you're saying. Um, there's such wisdom in it. Uh, I stumbled upon a question that we now ask all of our couples when we do premarital and even at family life conferences. I say to them, if you're the person you're about to marry, if they never improved, but never decreased, um, if they never got better, but never got worse, would you be content with how that person is the rest of your life? And it is fascinating, the response you get mm-hmm. from couples. We've had couples go, uh, no. No. And it's like, well, what are you banking on? They're banking, you know, subtax. I'm going to be able to change this person fundamentally. So I'm not going to rock the boat during engagement, but I'm, I'm really going to bank on the fact that I can change this person fundamentally after we get married. And that is such a dangerous thing to think about uh, heading into a marriage that's going to last 50, 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is dangerous. And, and you're right. I think a lot of people see a relationship for the potential of what yeah, it could be rather yep. than see it for what it actually is. Yep. Um, and, and so a lot of, re- there's a lot of reality checking that needs to be done along the path of dating. And, and again, that's why it's so important to do it with wisdom and, and, and to in- integrate as many resources as you can. One reason I'm, it's funny, people are always like, why is a married woman with three children so passionate about dating? <laughs> um, and because usually the people who talk about dating are the ones who are dating and then you get married and you're done talking about it. But as a professional counselor, I truly believe that if we get dating right, everything else is going to follow. And I really believe that one way to get that divorce rate down is to really focus on healthy dating um, and healthy interactions with the opposite sex before we get committed. And, and, and so there's really not tons of resources out there for Christians. There's a lot of marriage resources. There's even a lot of pre-marriage resources. But as far as dating, um, there's not much out there. So my hope for the entire ministry, for the book, the blog, the, the courses that I offer, just to offer people some additional resources to come alongside of them and say, hey, if you're looking for, for ways to do things healthy and, and to have wisdom in how you approach these things, here they are. No excuses, you know? Well, thanks for joining us here on the Art of Relationships podcast and with our guest. And we are just so grateful. Uh, you can see Deborah's work at truelovedates.com. And you can join us at cmr.biola.edu for more broadcasting, for more events, for more blogs. Um, and check us out at that website. And we're just so glad to have you with us today. So I'm Chris Grace. And I'm Tim Yoha. And we're just glad to have you. Take care. <laughs>